Hi, everyone, and welcome to Outside the Crystal Ball, episode 19. I'm Emily Minton. We have another fun, spooky Halloween show for you this week. We are going to start by discussing the Death Tarot card. I'm going to tell you some scary stories from Appalachia. And we have a couple of questions from our mailbag from you guys that I'm going to answer for you. Don't forget before you listen to rate, review, and subscribe. We love that you guys are doing that for us. I really, really appreciate it. I can't tell you how much it means to me. I love going through and reading the comments, reading the reviews. It makes me very happy. So let's go ahead and get started with this week's tarot card. This week I picked the death card and I chose that because it looks a little bit spooky, right? It's almost Halloween, but this card is the opposite of spooky. It's a wonderful card to pull. Actually, there's a lot of symbolism on this card and I'm going to go over a little bit of it with you guys so that if you're reading this card for someone, you'll be able to understand what each piece means. We have death here represented as a skeleton. He's dressed in full body body armor, riding a horse, and he's holding a black flag. That flag has on it flowers and corn that represents the growing and harvesting seasons, right? That aligns with the seasons of your life, transitions, and that's what this card is all about. Death is riding through what looks like a sea of people who are either dead or dying, and he is looking down at what looks like a religious figure, maybe a pope or something like that is what I think it's supposed to to resemble there. Um, That the way that he's looking down at that religious figure is just signaling that spiritual enlightenment can transcend the traditional religious teachings. And that's a lot of what this card is. Death is wearing armor, indicating that he is protected during this change, as are you. You will always be protected as you're going through these transformations, even though sometimes it seems really scary and really hard. Um, the skeleton is riding that horse. Um, the skeleton is riding a horse symbolizing the freedom that you get from embracing transition and transformation. Now, if you pull this card for someone that you're reading for, it's reminding you that life is a continuous cycle. It's death and rebirth over and over and over again change is normal, right? You want to grow. You want to change as you continue through your life. The death card is asking you to surrender to that cycle. Um, and when I say death and rebirth, I'm not speaking you know, literally. It's just, you know, the death of, of one part of your life and the opening of the door to the, to the next part. Perhaps you just graduated college. That's the death of one part of your life, but the door is opening for you to start your career now. Maybe you just ended a relationship. Well, by closing that door, you're opening the door to make space for someone to come into your life that is better suited for you. Let go of things that have outlived their purpose. That's what this card is telling us. It's not easy. It's going to suck, but it will be for your best interest, your highest good in the end. Now, if you're reading this with specifically love in mind, you can take that same message, right? Sometimes you need to let go of what's not serving you in relationships, in friendships, and make space for those waiting in the wings to serve you in your highest good. If you pull this card reversed, remember reversed is usually opposite. 
And it just means you're hanging on to something and it's time to let go of it. You're hanging on to it for whatever reason. Maybe it's too hard to let go. Maybe you know it's going to hurt to let go. Maybe you're scared to let go and to move into something new. Let the change happen. The more you resist, the more it's going to cause pain. And the longer you're going to sit in something that's not serving you without opening the door to something that is. So death is a really good card to get. I really like that card. And it did look scary at first. It does look like a scary card to get, but it's really not. All right. My favorite thing, ghost stories. We are going to tell some stories from Appalachia. Now, my husband and I took a short trip this past weekend to Asheville, North Carolina. We went with another uh, group of friends of ours and we all stayed. We were checking out the history of the place. We were checking out some breweries there, which are plentiful and delicious. The Appalachian region itself is beautiful. It is one of the most beautiful places I have ever been. The people there are hardworking, family-oriented people. My husband is from there. My husband is from the lower uh, or the, the southern, southeastern Kentucky area. His family all still live there. We go and visit there. He gets up there a couple times a year. I usually get up there about about once a year. Um, but he was raised that way. You know, they are very resourceful, resourceful people. They may not have a lot materially, but they they have more love to give than any group of people I've ever met. And I find that that applies to that region, right? And not that I'm saying that it doesn't apply to other regions, but it's just so prominent there. That area um, is a mixture, but of course not limited to um, indigenous culture, Celtic culture, African-American influences. There have been so many rough times in this area. You know, the Civil War came through here and this was a place where the Mason-Dixon line existed. And so there was a lot of brothers fighting brothers. Um, this was the coal mining era. This is where people died in the coal mines. Children died in the coal mines. This was a tough area to live in, you know? I like when I go to these places, I kind of nerd out and I look and I, I look at those mountain ranges and I think, what if I were a settler back then? Could I have taken, you know, my children and my animals and, and climbed those mountains and made paths? And I just don't think I could do it. I don't think I'm strong enough to do it. So those people are incredibly strong, strong group of people. Now, one of the places that we went was the Grove Park Inn. The Grove Park Inn was built by Edward, I'm sorry, Edwin Wiley Grove and his son-in-law, Fred Seeley. They bought the land in 1910. And at the time, there were a few buildings on the property. They demolished all those buildings, including a tuberculosis sanatorium that was located there. They began building this inn in 1912, and it was done in 1913. Here, I'll put a picture of it. Here it is up on YouTube. And if you're not on YouTube, again, you can Google it. There's a quadrillion pictures of it out there. This is the back of it that I'm showing you here. It's absolutely beautiful. We were able to go in and have a drink while we were there and explore it a little bit. Now, um, during World War II, the hotel actually served as internment for the access power diplomats that were here in America. They stayed there. They were treated pretty well. They were allowed to go out into Asheville and shop and, and get things that they needed. The, they were accompanied by soldiers, of course, but they were allowed to go out and about there. Um, and that's where they stayed until the war was over. Now, in um, when the Cold War happened, you guys have to forgive, forgive me. I'm a science teacher. I know nothing of history, <laughs> really. I know about rocks and space. 
So I'm not sure exactly when that was. I want to say late 50s, early 60s. Um, But when the Cold War was happening, they created places for parts of our government to go for safe houses, right? So that they could rebuild our society uh, should the absolute worst happen. And this in the Grove Park Inn was where they decided the Supreme Court would go to rebuild our judicial system. There's actually a letter, I have it up on the screen now, that's framed at the inn that you can actually, you can read this whole letter and it's a contract between the inn and the government. And it says, this is where the Supreme Court will go. They will take over this inn should a nuclear disaster happen. And there's actually no end date to it. So it's still good today. They can still do that today should the absolute worst happen. Um, The Grove Park Inn has hosted 10 of the U.S. presidents, including Barack Obama. He was the most recent one. Thomas Edison has stayed there. Henry Ford has stayed there. F. Scott Fitzgerald has stayed there. Um, In fact, it is said that this inn is what he used as his, um, I don't want to say influence. What's the right word that I'm looking for? It's what he used to get the ideas for the great Gatsby. Now, not only does this inn have a very impressive guest list of people who have stayed there, but it also has a resident spirit that lives there. They call her the Pink Lady. The story goes that in the 1920s, a lady in room 545 fell from her balcony and died. Now, whether this lady was murdered or she committed suicide or it was an accident and she fell, we don't know. We don't even know her name. There's no documentation of her name. People do report, however, that she still hangs out at the inn. People have reported, and and by people, I mean the visitors and the employees report seeing her walking up and down the halls. They report that she is quite a prankster. She likes to turn things on and off. She likes to turn your lights on and off, your air conditioning on and off. She likes to tickle your feet when you're laying in bed. And this doesn't just happen in room 545, but all over the hotel. As we know, spirits are not confined to one little space. They're not going to just stay in room 545. It is her most comfortable place. It's where she is seen the most, but she has been seen across the hotel as well. She is actually um, known to have a really good relationship with children that stay at the hotel. She loves to talk to them and play with them. In fact, one doctor, upon leaving several decades ago, he left a note on the front desk that said, we had a great time. Please tell the woman in the pink gown. Thank you. My children love playing with her. I thought that was pretty neat. Now, this hotel was closed in the 50s for renovations. And while it was being worked on, the workers really did not like to go near room 545. They reported some cold spots. They reported just that general sense of uneasiness that you get when you know somebody's near. And in fact, one of the workers, he wouldn't even continue to go to work on that part of the hotel anymore because he was so uncomfortable being near that room. While we were there this past weekend, We enjoyed it so much. There were so many beautiful things. We didn't see a quarter of it. We didn't experience anything paranormal either, but I'm going to say that it is because there were so many people in that inn this past weekend. There were two weddings happening at the same time. There were people elbow to elbow. There was too much energy from the people who are alive for me to really pick up on the energy of the people who aren't. So while I can't confirm with you guys that it is haunted, it is something that I do want to check out one day where I have some time to go during the week. 
when it's quieter and I can really concentrate and, and see what's there. Also, while we were in North Carolina, while we were in Asheville, we visited the Biltmore Estate. I've been a couple of times. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. It is enormous. I have some figures for you guys if you want to hear them. The Biltmore Estate sits on 8,000 acres of land. It is over 175,000 square feet. Guys, that's over four acres of living space. You hear me? Living space. Four acres of living space is how big this house is. It has 35 bedrooms, 43 bathrooms that had indoor plumbing, and 67 fireplaces. It's huge. Here is a picture of it if you haven't seen it. It sits right in front of a mountain range. It's gorgeous. I love going in there. You can feel energy in there from the second you walk in. You can feel, um, and I'm sure most of it is residual, just energy from from years past. Um, Visitors and staff members, however, report hearing the name George. George Vanderbilt is who built the house. And they report hearing the name George in their ears many, many, many times. His wife, Edith Vanderbilt, was known for walking through the house and calling for him to come to dinner, to come to a party, because George liked to stay in his study. He liked to stay in the library, which if you've seen the library, holy cow, it is somewhere I would want to stay as well. That's a picture of of part of it there on the screen. You can see his little doggy laying there in the front. Yeah, I'd stay there all the darn time too. The only thing I would change is I would have one of those rolling ladders that go across the second floor like Belle on Beauty and the Beast. I'd have one of those, but it's amazing. So that's where George likes to hang out, even in death. So they think that George is being, that that name George is being heard because Edith is telling him to come to whatever she needs him to come to. Guests have also, I'm sorry, not guests, but the um, ground workers that are there in the evenings report hearing laughing and dishes clinging and and people having a party. But there's no one having a party. So that makes it a little bit difficult to to figure out where that is coming from. Visitors will report seeing spirits going up and down the stairs along with the sounds of footsteps. Strange smells, cold spots, and weird feelings are reported when visitors go up and down the steps. I went up and down the stairs. Um, I didn't really feel anything this time. When I was there the last time, it just felt heavy. You could feel, you know, that there was some energy there. Um, we talked about George already. Now, there is a swimming pool area. And I'm going to put that up on the screen. This is the swimming pool. Now, the way that the swimming pool is built, I think contributes a lot to the reports of energy there because it's just a big enclosed space of tile and the swimming pool itself. I mean, it's just a scary looking room. <laughs> Honestly, it's just a scary looking room. There is a rumor that a little girl died. She drowned in the pool. I think there's a story everywhere you go of little girls drowning in the pool, but this one has not been documented. It's not confirmed. I will tell you the couple that we were with, the husband is also a medium. And as soon as we walked in that room, every hair on his arm stood up straight. He's like, oh my gosh. And he had to kind of go out quickly because he couldn't, you know, it, it just felt bad. You know, you guys that that do practice mediumship, you know that feeling where it's just uncomfortable and you've got to go. And that's the feeling that he got. Um, now, 
We are unsure if the Vanderbilts ever owned any cats. We know they owned a dog. We're not sure if they ever owned any cats, but there is a orange headless cat reported to be seen in the garden area. Where this cat came from, we do not know, but his spirit can be seen there. Now, also on the property, the Vanderbilts had built a forestry school. They had one of the top foresters in the world come over to do some work on the Biltmore estate. His name was Carl Schneck. And in 1898, um, George Vanderbilt was like, you know, you are awesome at what you do. People are coming to you to get advice. Why don't we just open a school here and you can teach them to do what you do? So they did. And that worked wonderfully until 1909. And that is when Biltmore and, or I'm sorry, uh, Vanderbilt and Schneck got into an argument about Schneck's pay. They were not, they were not using their big boy words to talk to each other. They were very angry with each other. And Schneck quit. In 1913, the school shut down and it just became an abandoned building on the property, kind of on the outskirts of the property. It's not visible from the house. I have a picture of it here up on the screen. Um, This is where they would teach other people how to be foresters. Now, once that building became abandoned, it was known that um, sex workers would go there with their johns to to do their work. And we don't know if Vanderbilt knew about it. You know, we don't know if he if he knew that was what was happening. But we do know that there was a sex worker that was murdered there. We also know that there were some unlawful executions that took place there, mostly by hanging. And it has been said by people who have snuck onto the property, because you should not be going into this abandoned house as private property, they have snuck on there and reported that they can hear disembodied singing coming from the building. They have seen the spirit of the, they say of a woman, but we're assuming it's of the sex worker that was murdered. And they can see shadow figures moving around the room. Um, They don't know if that's from the people who were executed outside that building or or what it's from. Um, when I was there this past weekend, the only paranormal experience I really had was when we left the pool area, you go out and it's sort of the, the kitchen and the servants' quarters and things like that. And there was a, a young African-American girl, I would say no older than 17 or 18, but she was there next to me and she was telling me this isn't the life I wanted. This isn't what I wanted. And she also kept saying, which I thought was strange until I thought about it, the mountains are keeping me here. I can't get out because of the mountains. And if you think about it, it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier. How do you cross them? How do you get out of there safely? You know, decades and decades ago when there weren't cars and there weren't, you know, easy ways out, you had to have a horse and buggy and that's not quiet. So I I felt like she was just telling me that she was not, you know, that's not what she wanted from her life. That's not where she wanted to be. So that kind of made me sad. I didn't really like that too much. Um, But yeah, the Biltmore is a, a beautiful place. It is enormous. It's very expensive. Um, If you guys want to go, you have to get tickets to go and see it. It's not free that they use the money to, you know, continue to keep, keep it renovated and keep it running 
the old light switches are still on the walls and the old door locks and handles. And I think that's all really cool. There are also secret panels in some of the rooms. You can go online to see which rooms have the secret panels that would take you to different places within the house. I've always wanted a secret panel. Actually, I want like a bookshelf like on Scooby-Doo where you pull down like the bust of somebody and it opens up into another room. And I need that room to be super quiet. That's going to be like my anti-mom room. Like nobody can get in there. It's going to be super quiet. It's where I can go and read with my super cool library with my sliding ladder bookshelf. All right. Next, the demon dog of Valcrucius. This is also in North Carolina, but it's not in Asheville anymore. We are now moved to a city called Valacrucius. Valacrucius is Latin. It means the Valley of the Cross, and it got its name because of the two streams that meet at right angles in the valley. There is a bridge that goes over that intersection. Now, it's a very, very quiet town, but it has a very ominous story that goes along with it. Near Highway 194, and the streams that gave the Valcrucius its name sits an old stone Episcopal church. And I'm going to put that. There's a picture of it. It's a real thing. It was built, it looks like, in 1862. And in front of that old church, there is a cemetery. And this is in a Google Earth image that I pulled just this morning of the property. So you can see the cemetery there and the little church in the background. And the yellow line is the road that runs around it. And that road is where our story focuses on today, that road and that cemetery right there. Now, these tombstones are old. So, you know, some are tilted, some are crumbly. Um, Our story, though, is going to focus on what kind of dwells in that cemetery. We had two men one evening that were driving home and they were driving past that church. The night was very, very clear Of course, there was a full moon in the story that was emitting light so that they could see some. And while driving past this church, the men reported that a shadow jumped out from behind one of the tombstones. It landed right in front of their car. Well, in order to avoid hitting it, the driver pulled, swerved away and pulled off on the side of the road, thinking it was an animal, a deer, a dog, something. And as he turned his head to look to see what he almost hit, he sees a dog, except this dog is as tall and as wide as a man. He was covered in black, bristly fur. And the scariest part, they report, was that his eyes were glowing red. And it wasn't a reflection red, like, you know, like you get when you shine lights on like a, a deer or a dog or something, their eyes glow. This was a, a red eyes that were emitting light, like it was showing, they were shining light. So the driver, scared out of his mind, He hits the gas and he takes off down the road. It's a very, very curvy road. So this is the road that I'm talking about. I'm showing it on on YouTube for, for you guys who are not watching it there. The dog was not only chasing the car, it was keeping up with the car. It was gaining on the car and the driver was going as fast as he could down these winding roads. And as he gets to the bridge that sits over top of that intersection of water, the dog stopped following him. And they don't know why. They don't know why he couldn't cross the bridge. Was it something about the water? Was it keeping it within a certain border? Did the men just get through this dog's territory and he no longer cared where they were or what they were doing? Today, people also report seeing the dog with the red eyes when they pass St. John's Episcopal Churchyard. They just hope that they can make it to the bridge. 
All right. My last story is actually a personal story of my husband's. And um, like I said, he is a little camera shy. So I'm going to tell the story for him. And this story was told to him by his grandfather. His grandfather's name was Jim. He called him Papaw. And Jim lived in southeastern Kentucky. As I, got, as I told you guys earlier, that's where his family is from. It's very, very, very rural there. Lots of forests. The people there are very hardworking. They're very family-oriented. But when Jim was dating or courting, if you will, his wife, Julia, who did turn out to be his wife down the road and my husband's grandmother, he would pick her up on his horse and buggy for their dates. He traveled down dirt country roads to get to her. Now, the roads were cut through the forest. He wasn't driving through the forest. He wasn't driving through woods in his horse and buggy. He was on dirt roads, but there were woods, you know, around him. There were no electric street lights to light the way. It was just him and his horse. The path was very dark there and very dark on the way home. As they dated more and more and more and became more serious, Jim would pick Julia up a little more regularly for dates, always taking the same path there, always taking the same path home. After dropping her off at home after a date one night, Jim was traveling the roads that took him home. He approached a corner that he had to turn, and as he turned it, he felt something jump on the back of the buggy. He could feel its weight, and he could feel its breath. He could feel it breathing. He could hear it breathing. He didn't want to turn around and look. He was too scared to see what it was. His horse didn't act any differently. His horse didn't notice it at all, and if he did notice it, he didn't think anything of it. So he continued to pull him and Jim and their buggy home. As they approached the next corner in the road, Jim felt that whatever it was, he felt whatever it was on the buggy, he felt it jump off. He stopped hearing the breathing. He stopped feeling the breath. He was scared, but so relieved that it was gone. He sped home. However, every night after that, where he would drop Julia off at her house after their date, he, and he rounded that first corner, the thing jumped on the back of the buggy. He listened to it breathe. He felt the warm breath on the back of his neck, but never, ever did he turn around. And as he rounded the last corner, it would jump off. Jim went back during the day to look for evidence as to what it could be, but he was never able to find the tracks. He couldn't find any bent trees, nothing. But every single time he traveled from that corner to the next corner, he had a passenger with him that terrified him enough that he would never turn around. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed our few Appalachian ghost stories. There's so many more out there that we could tell. There's the Blair Witch. There's the Brown, or not the Blair Witch, good grief, the Bell Witch, the Brown Mountain Lights. There's a ton of them out there that you guys can can check into. I wanted to try to share some, though, that you hadn't heard before. Or if you have heard them, maybe you didn't hear, hear my personal experiences in those places. What we're going to do now, though, is a couple of you have emailed me over the last couple of weeks with some really, really good questions. And I think that they're questions that can apply to all of us who are out there practicing mediumship and, and, and being a psychic. I'm going to start with this one. Good afternoon. My name is Samantha, and I have been listening to your podcast for a few months now. I am a developing medium and can relate to Emily's story of starting this work over after shutting it out. 
My question is about symbols in mediumship. Sometimes I get readings. I'm sorry. Sometimes I get random images or sounds during multiple readings. For example, I may get a rose in a reading for a mom who was who is being connected to her child that has passed away, and again in a reading between a grandmother and grandson. Do they represent the same message from spirit, or are they tied to each person individually? That is a really good question, and the answer to that is both. So, what she's saying is, as you develop your your ability, your mediumship ability. Spirit will start sending you symbols, right? So during a reading, you might get, I'll use this example, you might get a rose. And then you do another reading and you get a rose and you do another reading and you get a rose. So you start to understand that this rose means something specifically from spirit to you, for you to know, right? There is no book of symbols that can apply to everyone. If you see one, it's probably not 100% accurate. Everybody's symbol book, if you will, is different. You're going to develop your own symbols that mean nothing to me. I'm developing my own symbols that mean nothing to you. When I get a rose, it might not mean the same thing as when you get a rose, right? So sometimes when I get roses, it can mean that the, that spirit is sending love. I've had it mean literally you need to go and take somebody else, whoever the case may be, flowers. It just depends on the situation. And it's up to you as the medium to discern what that means. Asking, if you're not sure what it means, ask. Ask spirit to clarify. Are you telling me that this, you know, you're sending love? Are you telling me that you want me to go get roses? Are you telling me to look for a rose to help, you know, help me know that you're around? What are you asking me to do with this rose? And over the years, you will start to learn those symbols and what they mean for you. Here's an example. My symbol, what I have, and I didn't make this up. They gave it to me. Anytime I get a man come through and he's wearing overalls, that's my symbol that he's more of a blue collar worker. So I would ask questions like, you know, did your grandfather work with his hands? Was he a farmer? Was he a mechanic? What, you know, was he, I don't know. I can't think of any more off the top of my head, but you know what I mean? Like you work with your hands. Um, and then they present also to me with a a business suit or a briefcase. That's my symbol of they were more of a white collar office worker, maybe an accountant, an engineer, a teacher, uh, an, an office assistant, something like that. That is a symbol. That's what this. Well, that's what Samantha is asking here. So to answer the question, a lot of times they will mean the same thing for each reading. But you do have to use discernment to figure that out because at times it could be a little bit different. That was a really good question. Thank you, Samantha, for sending that in. I think a lot of people question that. And it's not something, like I said, you're not going to go and check out a book at the library and it's going to tell you what all these symbols mean when you're doing your reading. It's your reading. You'll figure it out. But you have to practice. It's something that you need to practice and practice and practice to figure those out. Um, all right. Second question. Hello, everyone. I'm reaching out because I have been able to communicate with those on the other side my entire life. They don't scare me, but sometimes I wish I could just turn it off. Any advice on ways to be in control of any advice on ways to be in control when I speak to those who have passed? Thanks. Okay. So basically, this person is wanting to know how do you turn it off? And the answer is 
it's hard. It's, it's hard for most people. I'm going to tell you from my personal experience, it's easier for me to turn it off than on. And that's because I spent my childhood turning it off. I spent my childhood blocking it out and pushing it away so much that my brain doesn't want to accept it anymore. So these last few years, I've had to learn to turn it on. Um, working with spirit is collaborative. They can't communicate with you if you don't want them to, and you have to tell them that. You have to set those boundaries. You can ignore it. You know, you can choose to ignore it, and you can choose to pay attention to it. You also will hear, and I think I said this in my last, I don't know, last episode or two, when we talked about psychic protection, putting up a shield, putting up a bubble around you to keep them out during um, meditation, you can practice that. You can practice that anytime. When I was walking through some of these places this past weekend, I practiced that because I was having fun. I don't want to talk right now. I want to go with my friends and enjoy the present, right? I want to go and enjoy the present right now. I don't want to have to worry about that. Um, Another thing that I think is really hard for some of us is just learning to live with this. Learning how to accept the energies that are around you as normal. This isn't normal for for everyone. This is normal for for you know the few of us who are open to it. So learning how to accept those energies and learning how to tell those energies not now. I'm not doing this right now. I have, you know, my kids football game. I have a party to go to, whatever the case may be, this is not the good, a good time for this. Let's talk later. You can do that. But go back and listen to that psychic protection episode about putting up a bubble around you, putting up a shield around you. And, and that's really going to help as well. And I know I hate to say it, meditation. Go to your guides and say, I, I don't, I, I'm not ready for this right now. Or I really would like to be able to turn this off. Will you work with me? turning this off when I need it to. And they will. They'll respond to you and work with you that way. All right, guys. Well, that is it for this week. We will be back next week with our friend, Joe. We are going to do some more spooky stuff. We have a Halloween special coming up for you guys at the end of the month. And then starting in November, we'll be back to our old ways, metaphysical practices and how to develop your uh, metaphysical abilities a little bit better. Until then, please keep sending in your questions. Please keep sending in your comments. Anything that you want to know about, I am more than happy to to put it on our long list of things that we are going to discuss. I hope you guys have a wonderful week and we'll talk next week.